0: Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. We're speaking about the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We thank you for your word And Father, like the psalmist said, I pray today that you'd make my tongue as of the pen of a ready writer. We thank you for your word, we thank you for your presence, we thank you for your spirit. Speak to us through Ephesians 6 as we strive to put on the second piece of armor this morning. May we put it on, may we understand what it is, and may we keep it on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let it be so. Amen. And so today we continue in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, as we look at the second piece of armor in our study. So last week we looked at the belt, the belt of truth, and we secured it. I want you to remember a few things from last week. So remember the consistent message of the Bible confirms the divine origin of the Bible. The Bible was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It was written over three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. It was written by approximately 40 different authors, and it was written over a period of 1,500 years, and yet the Bible tells one singularly woven together story. Most of the 40 authors never even met each other, but they tell the same story because the Bible is inspired by God and God is the author of the Bible. So we have His Word and it is consistent and without contradictions. Remember, truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. We noted three reasons why the Bible is true. We spoke about fulfilled prophecy, eyewitness accounts and testimonies, and the early recorded manuscripts over the years. And we didn't speak about the millions of testimonies of lives that have been transformed by this book and by this word and by his blood. So today we continue to add to our armor. Because Ephesians 6 verse 11 and verse 13 make this point crystal clear that we are to, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. That we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And verse 13 says it again, that we are to take up the whole armor of God. So the, the belt was thought to be the first piece of armor that the Roman soldier would have put on as he prepared for battle. So some have said that the collective jangling sound made by the belt would strike fear into the enemy when the soldiers would advance. And Satan can only deceive those who do not know the truth. He can only deceive those who do not know the truth, and therefore he's terrified above all else of those who know the truth. The belt of truth represents the first step in preparation for spiritual warfare. The belt is also a piece of armor we spoke about that helped to support other pieces of armor. And as a believer, the belt of truth is the first piece of armor that we apply, for without it, we do not not even know how to discern our right hand from our left. The belt of truth. So it's necessary that we speak about this armor, and why? For this armor offers us protection, protection against what? Against the wiles, against the schemes of the enemy. We spoke about the fact that we are in a spiritual battle, whether we choose to be or not, whether we want to be or not, we are in a spiritual battle. So this morning, my prayer is that we would put on the second piece of armor, that we would understand it. As we strive to put on the whole armor of God, we're focusing on the second piece of armor this morning, and that's found in Ephesians 6, verse 14b. Ephesians 6, 14. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So today we're speaking about the the breastplate of righteousness, which means we're speaking about righteousness. The the breastplate may have been the largest piece of armour that the Roman soldier would have applied to himself and some say that it extended from the neck to the thighs. Some would say, but this piece of armor would have protected the, the vital organs of a Roman soldier and would have protected, obviously, the heart above all else. And if I was to do a, a survey on the streets, and even in the sanctuary among the saints, and I was to ask the question, what is righteousness? Righteousness. Most, I believe, would say something along the lines of doing the right thing. Again, if I was to do a survey on the streets, and even among the saints in the sanctuary, and I was to ask the question, what is righteousness? I believe most would say something along the lines of doing the right thing. So then, is that the right answer? Is the question. Is righteousness doing the right thing? Let's look at what the Bible has to say about righteousness. Let's look at what biblical righteousness really is. So I like to start at the very beginning, because it's a very good place to start. And in Bible interpretation, there's something called the law of first mention. And it's basically the first first time that something is mentioned in the Bible is supposed to be very significant. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to start at the very beginning. Genesis is probably one of my favorite books of the Bible, by the way. The very beginning. A lot of revelation comes from the beginning. A lot of understanding of who God is, well, starts at the beginning. In Genesis. Genesis 3, and we're going to read from verse 1 through 21 in Genesis 3. You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them, verse 7, were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings and made themselves coverings and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. In verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. In Genesis 3, 6, we see the word ate. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. The tragic consequence of the temptation and fall was nothing less than the universal sinfulness of all humanity. Satan's assault was threefold. And the temptation was initiated by Satan's introducing doubt and denial of God's word. The fall brought, one, a consciousness of sin. The fall brought a... Consciousness of sin, condemnation, and separation from God, as indicated by the fact that Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. So Satan's attack was threefold, and the fall brought forth again a consciousness of sin, It's important that you understand that. A consciousness of sin, it brought condemnation and it brought separation from God. Man's nature became evil and inimical to God because of the fall. And this state of spiritual death ended in eventual physical death, both being implied in Genesis as we read. But someone say... But God. but God, but God, but God, what? In Genesis 3 and verse 21, we're introduced to tunics of skin. Someone say tunics of skin. Tunics of skin. Genesis three 21, we're introduced to tunics of skin, which is a garment. Also for Adam, verse 21, and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed. He clothed them. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. When Adam and Eve realized that they were naked, that was a representation of sin. When they realized they were naked, that was a representation of sin. Follow with me. Until that point, they were clothed from within... And now, all of a sudden, they became aware of their nakedness. And they were ashamed for the first time in their lives. To be naked is to be without clothes. And nakedness is a representation of sin. And now, for the first time, they were sin conscious. Before, they were God conscious, but now they were sin conscious. They were God conscious and clothed from within, but now they were sin conscious, they were self-aware, inward focused, naked and ashamed. They were experiencing and feeling things they had never experienced before. So what did God do? What was God's response to this? He clothed them. He created a covering for them. They were naked. They were exposed. Their eyes were open and they were afraid. They hid from the presence of the Lord. And what did God do? He clothed them. He covered them, covered their sin. Now, clothing is a representation of righteousness. Nakedness, a representation of sin. Clothing, a representation of righteousness. The tunics of skin was a type of Christ who became for us righteousness. Who became for us righteousness, a, it was a divinely provided garment for the first sinners. A divinely provided garment for the first sinners that they may be fit for the presence of the Lord God made this for them. Genesis 3 is the first time that we see death in the Bible and it's significant. It's the first time that we see it. The tunics of skin came from an animal an animal was slain, was was killed And that animal, again, was a type of Christ who was slain for us and became for us our righteousness. He, Christ Jesus, became our covering. Why? So that we might become fit for the presence of God. Without the righteousness of Christ imputed upon us, we are not fit for God's presence. And that's exactly what happened in the garden. They were aware of their sin, they became sin conscious and they ran and they hid from the presence of the Lord and God could only bring them out by covering their sin, by clothing them with righteousness because He wanted to keep His fellowship with them. They were ashamed and they ran from God, and God did not want them to be ashamed and to hide from him. He did not want that because he wanted fellowship with them. And the only way to get them to come out was to clothe them. I want to say this to you. I want to make this point. When we are overly sin conscious, it will never make us run to him. Listen to me. When we are overly sin conscious, it will never make us run to to him, but it will always make us run away from him. I did youth ministry and young adult ministry for about 10 years, and 9 out of 10 times, if there was a youth that disconnected themselves, and they stopped showing up, it was usually because of a sin problem because of guilt and because of shame, but I, I praise the Lord. That was, that was very rare. I had amazing youth, and they understood the truth that the best place for us to fight our battles is in the presence of the Lord. But usually our nature is going to be when we sin to run and hide from the Lord. We want no one to know. We don't want the saints to know, and we don't want God to know. So sin, being overly sin-conscious causes us usually to run from His presence, not to run into His arms. Righteousness then, by definition, is the ability to stand in the presence of God, in the presence of the Father God without the sense of guilt, shame, or inferiority. I'm going to say that again. Righteousness then is the ability to stand in the presence of the Father God without the sense of guilt, shame, or inferiority. Romans 5, 1 and 2, the Bible says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, 1 and 2, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Genesis 15 and verse 6. And he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. Speaking of Abraham. And he believed in the Lord. This is not a a righteousness by works. This is a righteousness by faith. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Why? Because he believed. Romans 4.3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Galatians 3.6, just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for Righteousness. He was righteous because he believed. Again, this is a righteousness by faith, not a righteousness by works. Numbers 13, I want to read this uh, little story to you in Numbers 13 28 through 33. And just um, leading up to the verses that we're going to get to, this is the report that the spies gave the people regarding the land that God had promised to them. God had promised the children of Israel this this land, the, the promised land, and the, the spies, they went to see the land um, to bring back report to the people. And God said, this land is yours. So the spies, they went to view the land, and then verse 28, this is the report that they begin to give Numbers 13, 28 through 33, verse 28. Nevertheless, the, the people who dwell in the land are strong. This is the report that they're giving to the children of Israel. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea. And along the banks of the Jordan. So what they're saying is there are enemies all around this land that God said we're supposed to have. Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Joshua and Caleb had a had a different perspective than the other people who went to spy out the land. Verse 31, But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. There we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. I want you to understand this. The way that you perceive yourself and God in relation to your circumstances will determine the outcome of your situation. The way that you perceive yourself. And the way that you perceive God in relation to your circumstances will determine the outcome of your situation. That's a fact. Four things happen when we know that we are righteous. Four things happen when we know that we are righteous, or four things are restored to us in righteousness. Number one, our standing is restored. Our standing is restored. Number two, our fellowship is restored. Our fellowship with Him is restored in righteousness. Number three, our faith is restored in righteousness. Number four, our freedom is restored in righteousness. Our freedom is restored our standing is restored, our fellowship is restored, our faith is restored, and our freedom is restored in righteousness. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to make this very clear. I believe this to be so. I don't believe that it is right or biblical for us to focus on our sin more than we focus on our righteousness. I'm going to say that again. I don't believe that it is right or biblical for us to focus on our sin more than we focus on our righteousness. I don't think that's that's so, or it's supposed to be like that. And there are are many groups that focus heavily, heavily on their sin and their sin nature. And that is the the focal point. I believe that we must be more righteousness-focused than we are sin-focused. Amen. And there are a lot of believers out there that that still believe that we are just and we are only poor, miserable sinners saved by grace. Now, that sounds amazing and it sounds very, very humble. But is it biblical? I would say you were a sinner saved by grace. And my sincere question to you this morning is this. This is my sincere question. If, if I was a sinner, right, stamped sinner, labeled sinner, declared sinner, before I met Christ, and then if I'm still a stamped sinner, labeled sinner, declared sinner, after I met Christ, then what has Christ done for me? That's my, sin- my sincere question to you. Then what did Jesus Christ do for me? And Maybe you're thinking this, there are, there are two types of people, there are two types of sinners. There are lost sinners and there are saved sinners. But I have a problem with with that Because Christ didn't just die for me To go to heaven But the Bible tells me that he changed my Nature He did a work on the inside of me There's something That he did in me Which changed My nature So I declare to you that there are not saved Sinners and lost sinners There are the sinners and there are the righteous. Amen. There are the sinners and there are the righteous. Now this is the mystery, right? Because John tells us that if we say that we have no sin, that we are liars. Right? So that is truth. What John said is truth. So then we, we still make mistakes. The, the righteous can make mistakes. Let me be clear. We can make mistakes. The righteous will make mistakes. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times but gets back up again. So the righteous will make mistakes. However, I do think there is an offense to Christ if our most pronounced and confessed label of ourselves is that of sinner. I think it's an offense to Christ if our most confessed and pronounced label over ourselves is that of sinner now this is why i say that let me give you biblical text turn to second corinthians 5:17 through 21 as we get ready to close out here shortly This is why I think the title sinner as our primary title over ourselves may be offensive to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21. Therefore, actually, can we, can we read this together? Actually, we may have different translations. It's okay. This is the New King James. But let's read this together. Yeah, on the screen. There we go. Right. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That basically means that that the the preaching of the gospel um, is not just for a select few. It's not just for even the evangelists, but it's for the body of Christ. If you have been reconciled to God, he has given you the ministry of reconciliation. That is you reconciling people to him. If you have been reconciled, that is your mission. That is your goal. That is a part of his plan and purpose for your life as a believer if you have been reconciled to him that you would continue this ministry of reconciliation. Amen? That's what that means. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ through God. Though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Listen to me. God made Him, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Why? so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. Do you understand? The great exchange. He became sin so that we might become righteous. This is biblical. He became, he didn't become sin so that we would remain sinners. Sinners. He became sin so that we might become righteous. Christ, God, became sin. That's deep, that's heavy. He didn't do that in vain. For us to walk around pronouncing over ourselves more than anything else, our sin. What did He do for us? He made us righteous. Declare your righteousness in faith, amen? Again, we understand that we make mistakes. We, we, we have times of confession. You guys are, you know that and understand that, right? I, I, I believe in that. but man, confess your righteousness more than you confess your sin. More than you are, 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 are sin conscious, be, be God conscious and, and righteousness conscious. Know that He has made you righteous. Amen. So he, he either did or he didn't, and he did. And you are, remember, you are what God says about you. You are what God says about you. And you can be what He says about you, or you can be what you think about yourself. And remember, it is false humility to call yourself anything less than what God calls you. That's false humility. You think you're being humble. It's false humility to call yourself anything less than what God himself calls you. I believe that if you see yourself primarily as a sinner that you would always struggle, you will always struggle, you will always struggle, you will always struggle with sin. If you see yourself primarily as a sinner, you will always struggle, always. And sin will always be like a giant before you that you long to overcome somehow, but when you see yourself as righteous, you view sin from the right side of the cross, and you see it as something that has already been overcome, and as something that has no power over you because you have received what Christ has done for you. Amen? Amen. So my conclusion today. So what is righteousness? Is it doing the right thing? Is it good works? The breastplate of righteousness is a righteousness by faith. The breastplate of righteousness is a righteousness by faith and righteousness can only be attained through blood. True righteousness can only be attained through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. And then it is received by believing on that sacrifice of His blood made for us. In the Garden of Eden, after sin, then came fear, complexes, insecurities, inferiority, guilt, shame, and everything else. And the outcome of that was to hide from Almighty God, that was the outcome of that. And God's strategy was to cover them, and it was the only thing that brought them out from hiding was God covering them. So we must have right thinking in order for us to have right standing with God. We must have right thinking in order for us to be in right standing. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of the Father God without the sense of guilt, shame, or inferiority. It's the presence, to, it's, the, it's the ability to come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy. It's not arrogance. It's what Christ has done. He wants us to come boldly. So righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of the almighty God without a sense of, of guilt, shame, or inferiority. Like, I don't belong here and I shouldn't be here. No, Christ made a way for you to be here. Right standing with God. Right standing with God. Amen. Righteousness is God consciousness. And sin is self consciousness. Amen. Luke 15, we know the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. There was a man who was in the father's house, loved by the father, provided for by the father. And then one day he came to his father and he said, Father, give me my share, my portion of the inheritance, which was disrespectful, by the way. His father looked at his son and he gave him his portion of the inheritance. And the Bible says that son went out into a distant country. He went on vacation. The Bible says that he began to engage in prodigal living, which means wasteful living. And he was having a grand time spending his money and, and enjoying the world. And the Bible says there was a time when he lost everything that he had. And he was hired by a man and his job was to work in the pig's pen. And after some time had passed, the Bible said that he was feeding the pigs in the pig's pen. And the Bible says that one day he was desiring to eat the same thing that the pigs were eating. And the Bible says that at that point in his life that he came to his senses. The light bulb came on, the light came on, and he said, What am I doing here desiring to eat what the pigs are eating when my father has a house and his servants are treated better than this? And he said, I'll go back to my father's house and tell him how I'm sorry. And the Bible says that he went back to his father's house and his father saw him a far way off and ran to his son and kissed him and hugged him and threw his arms around him and said, my son which was lost, is now found. My son, which was dead, is now alive. And the son said, Father, I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. Just make me as one of your servants. And you know how the father responded to his son? His son felt unworthy. I've sinned against you. I'm I'm unworthy. Don't even call me your son anymore. The response of the father was to put a ring on his finger. He threw a party in celebration of him. And you know what he got? The robe. Bible says, and he got him a robe, and he clothed him. The robe of righteousness. Do you know what it would have been like for that son that was living in a distant country Filthy and dirty to have his father put the robe around him. That would have been a game changer for him. And he knew that his father had received him and had accepted him. Righteousness is what Christ has clothed us with. And he's done it so that we would be in fellowship with him, so that we would not feel guilty or ashamed or inferior, but he wants to fellowship with you, so he's given you the breastplate of righteousness, and with that comes confidence to enter the presence of my father and fellowship with him. Amen? Let's stand up, please. Bow your heads, please. Take a moment and think about the word that you heard this morning. charge you to put on the breastplate of righteousness and to go confidently into battle. This is your confidence in battle. And if you are not in right standing with God then you are an enemy of God. And an enemy of God cannot wage war against another enemy of God. Confidence in this battle, confidence in spiritual warfare This confidence comes from knowing that I am in right standing with God. That I'm standing with Him and He's standing with me. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. The great exchange He became so that you might become. He became, so that you might become. He became, so that you might become. He became. Your standing has been restored. Your fellowship has been restored. Your faith has been restored. Your freedom has been restored in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you today for your word. There is nothing like your word. It feeds the spirit. The spirit loves to sit at the feet of your word. Thank you that our spirit was nourished this morning because of your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the breastplate of righteousness that gives us confidence in the battle.
1: Lord, we heard a lot this
0: morning about what you have done for us, and I pray that if there's anyone in this room or anyone online who who has not put their trust in you, that they will this morning. For Lord, it is a fact that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee shall bow on earth. Every knee shall bow in the heavens. And every knee shall bow underneath the earth. We can bow now or we can bow later. And if we bow now, then it will be right with us. But if we bow later, it will be too late. So we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And wherever you are right now, You can call upon the name of the Lord and he will save you as you call upon him. You acknowledge your sin and you acknowledge his righteousness. He wants to clothe you. He wants you to come into his presence. So he made a way for you through Jesus Christ. So trust in him this morning. Believe in him this morning and be saved and delivered from your sin. Lord we thank you for confidence this morning Father I pray that this message would never be forgotten that we would be reminded each and every single day that we are righteous before you that we would be God conscious that we would be righteousness conscious we know that righteousness is the ability for us to stand before you in the presence of the Father God without the sense of shame or guilt inferiority thank you you have made that way for us. We love you, Lord. We bless you. We glorify you. And we thank you for the breastplate of righteousness this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.